many of you like a good meal? No, not a bit. Yeah, I love a good meal. And there's been some really good meals that I've had. There's also been some really bad meals that I've had. And some of the bad meals have actually come from places that were really expensive. Um, I don't know if you've ever ran into that, but then you go to that little hole-in-the-wall diner that, you know, you're like, is that really safe to eat in there? And it's some of the best food that you've ever had. So there's been some really good meals that have happened, and I just want to share a few of those throughout history, some memorable meals. At President Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural ball in 1865, dinner was served at midnight. No, that's like the snack, not the meal. But it was served at midnight on a 250-foot buffet table. The menu items included beef tongue, in gelatin and calf's foot in jelly. Yum. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, the first meal on the moon, 1969, included bacon squares and sugar cookies and coffee. If you died, what would you expect your last meal to be? Cleopatra downed a handful of figs before she went down. James Dean ate a slice of apple pie and drank a glass of milk before he died. Elvis Presley gobbled up four scoops of ice cream and six chocolate chip cookies before he had a massive heart attack. There might have been a reason. Um, there, there's been some last meals that have went out that are quite memorable, but I think on the night before Jesus was crucified was the greatest last meal to ever go down. And Jesus gathered his closest followers to eat this last meal with him. The supper was rich in spiritual meeting. There was sweet symbolism that goes all the way back to the very first Passover meal. This was an annual meal that commemorated the defining moment in Israel's history and was celebrated the same way every year, every time, and everything was always the same. So the disciples, they knew what to expect when they sat down for this. So Jesus Set on, was set on celebrating this supper, and he was eager to explain the meaning behind this final meal. We go to Luke chapter 22, verse 15, and we read this. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The, the phrase there, earnestly desired, literally means I have desired to desire. Like there was, there was zealousness behind us. He was looking forward to with every bit of his being to celebrate this. At the heart, at its very heart, the Passover supper was designed to celebrate the temporary deliverance that came through the blood of the spotless lamb. Jesus now initiates a new meal that celebrates the timeless deliverance that comes through the, the blood of the sinless, sinless lamb of God. Each, mel each element of the Passover meal was very significant in what it represented. The unleavened bread, it, it represented the haste in which Israel had to leave Egypt. D don't even put leaven in it. Don't let it rise. Don't, no yeast. Just, just get that bread and let's go. The bitter herbs, they remind us of the, the pain of the slavery that they were in. They would take the bitter herbs, they would dip them in to salt water to remember the tears that were shed because, again, of the pain. The Passover lamb helped them to remember the passing over, and the wine represented the blood that was sprinkled on the doorposts. 
It's likely that Jesus would have instituted the four cups during this Passover meal. We read about these, these cups in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. There's the cup of rescue. He says, I will bring you out from under. So he's going to rescue the Israelites. And then there's the cup of release. I will deliver you from slavery, we read. The third cup, and the third cup we're going to talk quite a bit about this morning. The third cup is the cup of redemption. There we read, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And then we have the cup of renewal. It's the final cup, the fourth cup. And here God says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You see, the Lord has always been zealous to rescue. He has always wanted to redeem. He's always wanted to renew. God the Father has always wanted this for all of his people. And so Jesus desired eagerly to celebrate this meal because he was going to change it forever. Because up until this point, every Passover meal, every time a lamb was sacrificed, all that happened with those sins was that they were rolled back. And so up until the point that Jesus dies on the cross... The sins of everyone had just been rolled back because they were pointing to a time that Jesus would eventually die upon the cross. And that's exactly what Jesus was ready to do. He was eager to celebrate this. He was ready to initiate this new covenant that he's going to call it because he knew that redemption was coming. He knew that there was going to be this cup of renewal. So the supper began with Jesus as the host. He was he, he pronounced a benediction over the first cup and then the table was brought in with the roasted lamb and immediately after this jesus would have recited the history of of israel then jesus would have taken the symbols in succession starting with the passover lamb then the bitter herbs and then the unleavened bread as briefly he would explain the importance of each one of those during the passover meal everything was go going according to plan do you love it when a plan comes together? Some of you young people are like, it, the youth are like, what's he talking about? Y'all get it. But we love it when a plan is in place and we know what's going to happen step after step after step after step. My kids need that. And they don't like it when dad is disorganized. And when, I, when we go on vacation, I don't like to plan a lot of things. And my kids are like, what are we going to do today, dad? I don't know. We'll find out when we wake up. Oh, well, where are we going to go for breakfast? I don't know. What do you guys want? Oh, you know, like, they want a plan. Teresa wants a plan. She wants to know what the plan is. And I'm like, I don't know. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. And here in this moment, the disciples knew everything that was supposed to happen and everything was going according to plan. And then he throws a curveball at them completely. Mark chapter 14, look at verse 22. In this moment, everything changes. And as they were eating, everything's going according to plan. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Now, I love, again, the symbolism that we find here. Jesus, as the bread of life, born in Bethlehem, the house of of bread and now he holds up the bread and he blesses the bread and the word here that we have that he blesses it is where we get the word eulogy which means to speak well of 
So he speaks well of this bread because this bread is going to represent something amazing. And this would have stunned the disciples because he says, take, this is my body. What? Excuse, what did you say, Jesus? That, that I've never heard that before. This wasn't in the script of the Last Supper at all. With these five words, Jesus broke from tradition. It's lasted for, for two centuries, centuries, and, and now everything changes. Before they could fully recover from this shocking statement, look at verse 23. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he, he gave it to them, and they drank, they all drank of it. Now this, again, is likely the third cup. This is the cup of redemption. He says, drink this. This is my blood. This is the blood that's going to be poured out for you. This is your redemption. And notice here that they all drank it. Judas has already left. Judas has already went to do what he needs to do. And I think of what Jesus said to James and John in Mark chapter 10. If you go back and remember in James chapter or in Mark chapter 10, James and John, they're jockeying for position. Hey, who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to and what does Jesus say there? In Mark chapter 10 verse 39, the cup that I drink, you will drink. They had no clue what that meant at that moment. Jesus had been trying to explain his suffering. Jesus had been trying to explain what was going to happen, yet they didn't get it. And they still won't get it right away. And when Jesus says, and he talks about this cup, the cup of, of, of God is his wrath. It's going to bring about his judgments. But here's the thing, and this is what we need to know about this cup. Yes, it was God's wrath. Yes, it was God's judgment. But what does this cup bring about? Redemption. This cup brings about the redemption of all mankind. This cup brings about our redemption. So, so the script for the, the supper is back on track in verse 24. Jesus startles them again when he says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The wine in the, the cup was produced through what? Violence. I mean, the cup of wine, it was violence. Not just the cup of God's wrath, but the very, the, the very grapes had to be violently stomped on, stepped on, crushed in order to produce the wine that they were about to have in front of them. It had to be extracted. And so this blood that Jesus is talking about was going to be produced by violence, and violence was going to be brought upon Jesus as well. You see, this cup represents his violent and bloody death. This would inaugurate the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 speaks of this. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You see, biblical covenants were always ratified by blood. At its core, the word covenant means to cut, to split. The Old Testament was filled with rules. The Old Testament was filled with regulations. The Old Testament was filled with religious rituals. And now, Jesus is saying, yeah, those are still very important. He said, what, what did Jesus say? He says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but what? To fulfill it. 
Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he doesn't want just those rituals. He doesn't want just those regulations. He doesn't want just a bunch of rule followers. He wants a relationship with us. Jesus went to the cross so that you could be set free. Please don't miss that. The angel of death not only passed over those homes where the blood of the lamb had been applied. Please don't miss that. Jesus wanted a relationship. That was the whole point. God was setting this up. And likewise, unless the blood of the lamb has been applied to your life, you will die for your sins. We need to know that. There's only two places we go when we die. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. There's no in-between. And if you want to be set free, if you want that relationship, if you want all of the joys of heaven, if you don't want to go to hell, how many of you want to go to hell? No. How many of you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Now, how many of you want a free pass from hell? Yeah, yeah. Same. If you said you wanted to not go to, if you want to go to heaven, yes, raise your hand. If you want a free pass from hell, raise your hand. Yes. I don't want to suffer. I, I've read what hell's going to be like. I don't want to be there. But I don't want to just be scared because I want the joys of heaven as well. And that's what we have to look forward to. That's what we have to look forward to. That, I promise it was not a trick question. I, pr I, pr I promise it was not. We want, I, I don't want to go to hell and I don't want any of you to go to hell. But I also want you to be in heaven because of the joy that's there as well. Okay, that, Jesus wasn't trying to scare us. He wasn't trying to frighten us. He wanted us to be set free. He wanted, he wants a relationship Jesus then looks out into the future and, and uses the force of an oath in verse 25. He says, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. At this point, he's likely talking about the fourth cup. He's looking forward to that moment of reconciliation when we're all back with him again. Jesus is giving us the assurance of the coming of the kingdom of God. And that's the assurance that we have to look forward to as well. Revelation chapter 19, 9 says this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a supper I don't want to miss. That that's a supper that I am longing and looking forward to. You see, Jesus not only changes things up at the meal, but he also says some things that messes with the disciples. And now they're going to transfer from having the Last Supper. They're going to leave there, and Jesus is going to lead the, those that were closest to him down into the Kidron Valley. They're going to leave Jerusalem. They're going to go down into the Kidron Valley. They're going to cross over, and they're going to go up into the Mount of Olives, and they're going to go into the garden. And as they go into the garden, they're going to sing a hymn, they're going to sing a song, and, and then Jesus is going to continue to talk to them. And I want you to notice as we continue, starting in verse 28, as they've crossed over, now they're in the, the garden at this moment. He's going to give two predictions, and then there's also going to be a promise in between those. So let's start with the two predictions. Number one, he says, you will all desert me. Not the dessert that you get after the meal. You're all going to walk away. You're all going to leave. You're all going to flee. 
That, that's exactly what is laid out. We see it, look at verse 28. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Again, Jesus, uh, Judas has left to do his dastardly deed. Judas, sorry, Jesus is quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, but he adds the words, I will, referring to God himself. In a real sense, it's not Judas that kills Jesus. It's not the Jews that kill Jesus. What do we read here? I will strike the shepherd. This is God speaking. God is the one who is going to put his son to death. He is going to allow it to happen, and it needed to happen because we could, never, we, we could never redeem ourselves, and we need to remember that. And then, and then what does it say? That they will be scattered? So he is going to put to death, and scattered means to be dispersed, to be separated like shaft. They, they are going to go away. And if we go fast forward to Mark chapter 14, verse 50, we see this prediction was fulfilled and they all left him and fled. One of them, and, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, if you keep reading in verses 51 and 52, and sometimes people don't see this, okay? And it's even under a new heading. But if you look at verses 51 and 52, one of them, and we're not told who, one of them fled so fast that they ran away naked. They didn't want to be caught. They fled so fast. They see Jesus about to be put to death. And, and this young man, we don't know who he is, but he's wrapped in linen. And then he just runs away, stark naked. He was scared to death because of what was about to happen to Jesus. They all fled. And number two, Jesus gives a second prediction. Peter, you will deny me. Peter, you're the leader. You're the one that they should all be looking to. You're probably the oldest one of all of them. And you're still going to deny me. Peter didn't like this. Look at verse 29. Peter said to him, even though all fall away, I will not. Peter is perturbed. Peter is really, really angry at this moment because his pride has gotten in the way. And he says, no, if all fall away, there's absolutely no way. We have to make sure that pride does not get in our way. This last week, we'll see you at the poll for the high schoolers. It was awesome to see. I believe we had like 25 uh, youth here at the church that there was about 20 at, at Mountain View. I don't know how many were at, uh, at Brook Point, but we had youth that were set up so, to lead them. You, you should be proud. I know you are. You should be proud of our youth that you see every week sitting in this section right here because they're doing awesome things in their schools. And it's amazing to see. Youth, I know you're watching in that room, and I want you to know we're proud of you because what we see you doing. And they're leading it, and they're setting it up, and they're setting the example. It was youth-led here at this church. It was youth-led in the school systems to pray. And it's awesome to see that happening. And the key, the theme verse for, for this time, it was James 4.10. Humble yourselves, and he will exalt you. Peter needed to be brought back down. Peter needed to humble, but, but you see, he, he let his pride get in the way everyone else will not i ain't no way i will stand beside you peter thinks uh he, he's the best so so jesus tells him he will do the worst look at verse 30 
And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. No way. Absolutely no way will I do that. And Peter uh, protests. He says, but he said to him, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny. And they all said the same thing. Again, Peter's the leader. And the moment that Peter says it, those other disciples go, yeah, that's right. And they're fired up right with Peter. Emphatically, vehemently, he says, I will not deny. But if you go to verse 72, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. He let his pride get in the way. And even in those moments, Peter was afraid. If you're ever dealing with fear, it's okay. Even Peter, who was one of the strongest of the apostles, he was afraid too. And he denied even in those moments. And I've talked to some of you, and you, you've come to me, and you're like, Travis, I, I, I feel like I'm losing my faith. I feel like I've denied. I feel like I'm struggling. And, and I, I point him back to Peter, and I say, Peter, Peter messed up too. He was one of the strongest of the disciples, and, and, and he messed up too. It's okay. Look for repentance, and when you see that repentance, you will be okay, and you will work it through it. So we have these two predictions. Now let's go back and look at the promise. Jesus predicts that those closest to him will desert and deny. But notice the promise in verse 28. This falls, that their falls will not be fatal. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is the fifth prediction of the resurrection that's in the gospel of Mark it's likely that Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 12 was behind this promise. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Jesus came for the deserters and the deniers. Jesus came for the sinners and the strugglers. He came for the proud and the pompous. He came for the reprehensible and the rebellious. He came for the liars. He came from the lost. For those who bail and for those who fail. I'm pretty sure that wraps up every single one that's sitting in this room. Jesus came for all of you. Please, never forget that. No matter what you think you've done wrong, no matter where you think you've failed, Jesus will forgive. But you have to go to him. You have to seek that forgiveness out. And, and listen, here in just a moment, we're, we're going to go into communion. And we're going to talk about some correctives in our lives. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today can be the day that you accept him, that you ask for forgiveness, that you repent. And here's the thing, 
And this is the exciting thing. A part of all of that process of, of receiving him as your savior is baptism. And we're gonna have one of those this morning. At the end of the service, Carly's gonna be baptized. And I'm looking forward to that. Caroline, Carly, uh, Carly, all right, I'm just making sure. She's gonna be baptized at the end of the service. Man, I, I'll tell you, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. And if you need to accept him as your savior, you can do that today as well. And I'm looking forward to that. This is awesome to see all of these youth coming in and being a part of our service. Oh, I love it. As far as we know, this uh, memorial meal was celebrated with dignity. And until we get to the chaos and confusion in the church of Corinth, um, Paul had to kind of set the people straight. Every once in a while, we need to be set straight. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 just to really break this down. I think there's four communion correctives that I want to break through. Number one, please remember to remember. Look back. Remember what has happened. Paul received these instructions directly from G Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting verse 23, we read, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Twice in this very passage we're told to remember. Remember what Jesus did. Sometimes we take communion in a haste. We take communion just in a hurry. But we need to stop. We need to slow down. And we need to remember what it is that Jesus did for us. We all can have spiritual amnesia. But in this day, let's truly remember, as we do every Lord's Day. Number two, let's rejoice. Let's look forward. Let's, let's rejoice. At, at verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. When? Until he comes. Guess what? He left, but he's coming back. Oh, I can't wait. So we need to look forward to that day. So when we take communion, we remember, we look back, but we also look forward to the day that he comes back. And guess what? He could come back at this moment. And I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that time. We also need to repent. We need to look within our own lives. lives. It's easy for us to look at others, right? We can look at everyone else and go, I see their sin. But how often do we look right here? How often do we point the finger in and really look close? Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. Once we remember by looking back and rejoice by looking forward, we can't help but look inside making sure that our lives are, are right. Now listen, we're all sinners. We all fall short. But make sure that we see that. Humble ourselves. Number four, let's make sure that we also reconcile. 
make sure that we reconcile. Look at verse 29 and then jump to 33. For anyone who eats and for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Make sure that you take a moment to make sure that everything is right in your own life and then kind of look around. Look at verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. They were just getting together. They were eating their meal, and whoever got there early, whoever got off work early, whoever didn't have to wait in the HOV lines, they just ate first. But here in these moments, wait for one another. Wait for one another. Come together so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Let's make sure that we're living in union with one another. I say that we're family. We need to make sure that we're acting like family. Yes, family bickers with one another. Yes, family gets on one another's nerves. But, but, if, but if there's someone right now that you're struggling with, if there's someone right now that you need to seek forgiveness for or ask for forgiveness from or, or offer that forgiveness, do so let it go. Let it all go. Let it all be in the past. Reconcile to one another. That's what we've been called to do. In the Bible, dining together signified two things, adoption and participation. By eating the bread and drinking from the cup, we're saying that we've received redemption and we're declaring that we are in community with one another when we come together with the Lord. Communion is for sinners in Corinth. Communion is for sinners in Stafford. And Manassas and Fredericksburg and Florida and wherever else you may be taking communion from here today. In the Passover meal, one of the most important visuals was the lamb. But Jesus has replaced that lamb with himself as the perfect lamb. And so today, we don't eat lamb, but we take of the bread that represented his body because that is what he called us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The final sacrifice was made. Bread and wine were two common elements that could be found just about any parts of the world. And so that was used, and that is what is used today. When we started, and this is how I'm ending, when we started all of this today, we mentioned memorable meals. In 1969, when they took and ate on the moon, Buzz Aldrin marked another memorable meal because they didn't just eat bacon. He took the Lord's Supper. He took communion on the surface of the moon. It was that important. No matter where you find yourselves today, no matter where you're watching online today, it is time to participate and to remember what Jesus did for us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then you can get up on the back two tables and on the side and in the front. You can come and partake of communion. Remember, there's two cups. There's no lids on them. Please be careful. 
If you need prayer in your life, though, while we're taking communion, while we're singing these final two songs, you can come and talk to me. I'd love to, to, to just listen. I'll pray with you. If you're ready to make that confession, to give your life over to Jesus, you can do that this morning as well. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you so very much for all that you have done for us. Father, I thank you for the blessings. I thank you for the blessing, most importantly, of your Son, who came and lived a life, the life that we should have lived, who died the death that we should have died. Father, we remember that ultimate sacrifice that he gave of giving of his body and giving of his blood. So as we take communion here today, we remember that sacrifice. And Father, I thank you so very much. And if there's someone here who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, that today will be the day in which they do so. We pray this in your son's most holy and precious name.